When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Since making his big screen directorial debut in 1985's Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Tim Burton has become one of the most signature voices in American cinema. Over the course of his 20 full-length features, he's created an instantly recognizable style. You know a Tim Burton movie almost immediately, whether it's Batman or Edward Scissorhands or, God help us, Planet of the Apes. Now, nearly 40 years into his directing career, the great pop culture debate wants to decide, what is the best Tim Burton film? When I go to Sleepy Hollow, none of the horsemen remain headless. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter were unavailable for this project, so please welcome their replacements on the panel. My balloons. Bob Erlenbeck stole my balloons. Bob, gone. I'm going to need a minute or two alone, boys. Thanks Mm. for having me. And shout out to Bob the Goon, who was an actual action figure for the 1989 Batman film was not based on Barbara Lernbeck, though. Nope. He's a Bob, but not that Bob. He is not just a Bob. Exactly. (laughs) Please welcome to the podcast, Jim Zadzik, who has seen Beetlejuice about 167 times. And it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Yes. Welcome, Jim. (laughs) We're so glad to have you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) And Kate Reculia doesn't know about you, Miss Kitty, but she feels so much yummier. Honey, I'm home. Oh, I forgot. I'm not married. That's hashtag true. Hashtag funny. Hashtag hell here. Hell here. That's exactly the answer. So for those listening, this is a special Patreon-sponsored episode. Our top-tier Patreons get to pick a mini-so topic for us to cover each year and also get to select the panel. And our Patreon this time is actually Bob. So, Bob, why did you select hey. the best? Yeah. <laughs> not, you're not only a panelist, you're also a Patreon I'm also supporter. a client. Also a client. My hair is also receding. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. That doesn't happen on our podcast. Bob, why did you select uh, Best Tim Burton, Tim Burton Film as your topic? Well, I have I've always loved the movies of Tim Burton. Really, my whole life, like when I was young, like movies have always been a thing for me. Like I love movies. I love going to them. I love film and all those things. And when I was a kid, like people would say, oh, that's a Spielberg film or that's a Scorsese film. And like those things never really I never understood that concept. But I always understood uh, struggled to understand like kind of what that meant. Um, but Tim Burton was like the first director where I kind of understood at that young age, like what it meant, like what the visual style, the themes, the tropes that he would use, you could see the stamp or the fingerprint of that director on the film, right? That was really, you know, for somebody who loved movies and didn't really understand that, but this kind of helped me to understand that, that that made me kind of gravitate towards his films, Um, really the themes and the things that he includes in in his in his films really speak to me, you know, being an outsider, being misunderstood, kind of the representation of weird people and being weird and different and how everyone adds value. All of those different things speak to me. Um, I always think he's really great with lots of characters, with ensemble casts, with being able to cast in general, um, with great people and great performances. So those were really the things that always stuck with me out of his films. Um, And, you know, I just, 
I kind of found a lot of the coming of age themes that he has in many of his films. I, I find I've always loved those in both comic books and TV and, and, and film and all that stuff. Like those are give me teen angst and that's, <laughs> you know, he's not all teen angst, but like he has some of those coming of age themes that really ring true for me. So those were really one of, those were the reasons why I thought this was a great topic. I also thought it was a great topic for other people that would probably have interest in it. I kind of tried to gauge on that too. I'm, I'm like, I probably think Kate would probably want to come to this party. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my red or my, my black and white stripes. I came to this party. Beautiful. <clears throat> and oh, there's by, that. <laughs> yeah. By the time you have listened to this, Kate will have jumped, will have plummeted, plummeted. from the Winter River Bridge. There's going to be I'll lots you of know it. that I am alone. I am <laughs> Utterly alone. <laughs> There's going to be so many Beetlejuice references in this, uh, so I, I mm-hmm. beg your forgiveness ahead of time. Um, so thank you for that, Bob, and thank you for being a Patreon supporter of the podcast. FYI, there are two more top-tier Patreon slots now open. We added a couple more since they were so popular. So if you're interested in sponsoring a debate, please head over to Patreon and become one of our best supporters ever now. Uh, so how does this work? Since this is a mini-sode, there was no public poll. Our panelists went through all 20 Dim Burton directed. Did I say Dim Burton? You did. I did. (laughs) All 20 Tim Burton directed movies, ranked them from best to worst, and we created our seedings based on those scores. Note that we stuck to Burton directed films, not produced slash written. So there's no James and the Giant Peach or Alice through the Looking Glass here. We did include The Nightmare Before Christmas because while he did not direct it, it is unquestionably his vision realized on screen. And so I just don't think you can have a Tim Burton debate without having that movie. Does anyone disagree with that? No. No. Great. I'm fine with it. Perfect. <laughs> so, and we hope you agree with it too. So now we argue about it and insult each other all for your amusement. Want to play along at home? You can by going to greatpopculturedebate.com and finding the polls and brackets tab. There you'll find the listener bracket for this and every episode of the podcast. Make a copy for yourself. That part is super important. Make a copy. Don't send me a request in my Gmail. I will not see it. Fill it out and see if your picks match up with our own. Uh, before we start, we do need to acknowledge that since there were 20 uh, Tim Burton films, there were four that did not make the 16th seed bracket because they cumulatively cumulatively received the least amount of votes from our panelists. And they are the following. In 20th place, the 2012 film adaptation of Dark Shadows. In 19th place, the 2019 live action, he said in quotes, uh, mm-hmm. revamp of Dumbo. In yeah. 18th place, the 2016 ostensibly original Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. And in mm-hmm. 17th it's- place... The ill cons- book. Oh, is it based on a book? It Never mind. Book, yeah. <laughs> I just assumed it was Tim Burton's going to do his version of the X-Men. And I was just I, like, <laughs> meh. Uh, and then in 17th place, the ill-conceived 2001 reboot of Planet of the Apes. And I know my panel has some thoughts on that. Uh, Jim, you wanted to talk about Dumbo. Or are you going to save that for firepower for a future uh, debate? I'll just mention that I don't know why it needed to exist to some extent. Like, I Not that the original's all great and everything, but I don't know if his film did anything to improve upon it. Um, and then we can talk. I think some of his weakest stuff is when he's getting into the digital effects and that's yeah. full of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it just, it just like we were all excited, you know, so it, for the view, the listeners that uh, don't know me, I'm, I'm serving as the straight parent, um, male parent of the panel here. And uh, I have kids and we watched it. We were all excited to sit down and watch it. My, you know, Dumbo is one of my wife's favorite films. And we all were kind of just like, oh, that, that happened. Like it wasn't, no, no, there wasn't much to it. 
Yeah, Jim, and thanks for bringing the voice of a white male to exactly. The <laughs> I mean, this is our commitment to diversity. A straight white male on the podcast, Rue never. So thank you, Jim. Uh, we really do appreciate. Ha- happy to help. Thank you for filling that role, and I'm not even going to take the easy gay joke there. So uh, thank you, um, Bob. You had some thoughts on Dark Shadows, right? Yeah, do I? Um, so. You you would think that everything about Dark Shadows is right up Tim Burton's alley, and from a style and visual like perspective, absolutely, it looks great. There's some CGI visual pieces to it that you know sometimes his use of CGI doesn't really work out, and there's some other films too um, where it, it just looks so so fake because it's so surreal. Um, but you you would think that he would have nailed this one and really hit it out of the park, but it's really kind of messy in regards to like the first 20 minutes. You're like, oh wow, he's gonna go truly dark with this like dark shadows um but then there's some weird off-putting comedy thrown in there and it's just very mixy messy and it i I was really hoping that it would be great um and the johnny depp performance just really doesn't do it for me um the makeup for johnny depp in particular is just dreadful i'm like wow he's wearing makeup that makes him look like he's dead but that's makeup (laughs) i mean this is his career but uh yeah, yeah right so anyway, that's that's a little bit long winded for uh, something that was got the boot. But um, and then just to say, Miss Peregrine, it, mm-hmm. it's a good movie. It just is not particularly. Is it? Oh, Kate. Is it a good movie? It's a it's a it's entertaining. <laughs> I, I liked I liked it. It's just it's just not remarkable in any way. It's like, OK, that's that's nice. I'll never watch it again. But it was good. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it is like I, I'm trying to find the word. I'm trying to pull the word. It is so steadfastly to the bone generic which is mm. not what you think of when you think of tim burton um mm-hmm. it is based on a book uh it's notable is it the first time that he partnered with eva green like uh, she's awesome i love her all of a sudden he he's she's like she's a new johnny depp no she was in dark shadows before that uh it's so like he traded out helena bonham carter for eva green like literally mm. both in his films and and his, his she's life. also in dumbo Yes. Ah. So, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Tim Burton has a long history of whoever he's banging at the moment being in his oh, films. Going back to Lisa Marie, possibly earlier than that, but it went from Lisa Marie to Helena Bonham Carter to Eva Green. I don't know who he's with now because I think- I didn't know him. he was with Eva Green. Yes, oh, Eva was. Green. Girl, you could do better. Girl. <laughs> Girl. Girl. <laughs> Girl. Anyway. Yeah. Watch Penny Dreadful. It's a great show. Yes, it is. And she's wonderful in that. Um and a Planet of the Apes. I mean, listen, I, I saw that with at least two of the other people on this podcast, correct? Drink. Drink. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we were genuinely excited for that movie. Yep. Like, I know I was. And you, you can't know even... me. I love the Apes films. Yes. I love the, the newest <laughs> ones, too. I love all of you the do. Apes films. They're like, they're Godzilla, Apes. You give me something like that, I'm going to eat it right up. But, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> it was so bad. And you can't even blame this one on the, the special effects because those are mostly practical. And mm-hmm. it was still terrible. It, like, it was objectively bad. It's objectively yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah. Mark yep. Wahlberg. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. God. And how does he still have a career? I mean, I was just making a joke about Johnny Depp. But how does Mark Wahlberg still have a career after this? The happening, like holy crap! Fail up, straight white men. Fail up. You I in my lemon drink. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, we will do an M Night Shyamalan one, and we will go into depth oh. on the happening, which is so terrible. It doesn't go co- co- back around to being amazing. It's so terrible it goes to amazing and then back around to being terrible again. Like that's how <laughs> terrible that movie is. With that mm-hmm. said. Let's turn up the juice and see what shakes loose as we get into the actual <laughs> debates. 
our panel unanimously decided that ultimate number one seed Beetlejuice had more vision than four seed Big Eyes. But Bob, you wanted to say something about Big Eyes? Yeah, I saw Big Eyes once. And that's where it ends, right? Um, it's a good it's a good movie about a really interesting story, visually very, very interesting with the big eyes piece, right? Um, but it's not a re- there's no repeat viewing, there's nothing there. It was really that Oscar Beatty um bait, not not like Warren Beatty, Oscar Bait like <laughs> um, <laughs> um the uh, you know, t- with the performances and stuff. I think some of the performances were nominated. I don't have that in my research because I didn't care enough. Um, but yeah, I, I saw it once and that's where it ends. <laughs> yeah, to me, that one felt even at the time, like Tim Burton knows that his reputation has taken a real big tumble and mm-hmm, he's eager mm-hmm. to do something that <clears throat> gets him back in critical good graces because it started to feel, and we're just going to put it all out there on this podcast. I think post the early 2000s, it just started to seem as though he was going around to anyone who would give him a paycheck and just do whatever. Um, and, you know, hey, uh, I'm team get money, bitch. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, talk down on that. But I, uh, it, I I felt to me this picture was his his bid at getting back at the like getting back in good graces with the critics after years of just pumping out money making films mm-hmm. or films that were supposed to make money. I'll put it that yeah. way. Yeah, Ten- pole yeah. high concept stuff. Yeah, correct. Without yeah. a lot of vision or passion, which I think is what you can accuse most of his like early to mid two thousand stuff. With some notable exceptions that we will be getting into. But anyway, Big Eyes is out. Beetlejuice continues. Three quarters of the panel preferred the tall tales of two seed Big Fish, but Kate was sprung for <laughs> three seed Ed Wood. Kate, explain why this story of a B movie director is actually an A list Tim Burton film. Jim, lure us over to the side of Big Fish, and I'm going to have Jim go first all right well i i really actually like both films a lot um but big fish is definitely one that uh is is a is a good fit for i think for tim burton it's a fantastical tale it's grounded in reality compared to some of his other films it's not as surreal but it or at least in the way that it plays out by the end um it's part the the surrealness of it is or the fantasy aspects of it is part of the story itself and it it, it comes to a, a meaningful ending um you know it's told with some of his best cinematography i feel um mm-hmm. the story structure is good i think it, it you know as we go through here i think we'll look at some films where when it's a good pairing um or there are there's you know a good script and and him or you know, I don't want to go ahead to my next one that I want to talk about, but there's uh, there's times where he pairs up that it, he can pull out the heart of uh, this one has a lot of heart of the of um, the people involved. Um, Helen Bonham Carter is amazing as an act, you know, in in the acting in this, um, it's uh, dreamy and you know, it's a lot like of his other films. Uh, let's see, you know, it he's a what I do like about it is that it's an unreliable narrator. I don't feel like any of his other films do that in the tense, in, in the sense that it, it, he does things in the film that makes you question like, is this reality or not? Where like in his other films, it's like, this is the world he's creating. Um, and, but that's part of the story. Uh, yeah. I agree with everything you just said. And before mm-hmm. I add my two cents, Kate, do you want to talk about uh, Ed Wood? So here's the thing, Jim, that was your first argument ever on this podcast. And I mm-hmm. swear I'm not coming for you. <laughs> Oh. But <laughs> Big, Big Fish <clears throat> profoundly does not work for me. I find mm. it outrageously saccharine, completely unearned. I really, I, I, I saw it in the movie with you, Bob, Drink. Um, yeah, and it. it looks beautiful, but I just, I do not care for that movie and I do not think it works. Um, Ed Wood, on the other hand, 
I think is a pretty fantastic movie. I just watched it Mm -hmm. uh, a couple days ago and was like, holy shit, like I forgot how good this was. Um, It's an incredible Oscar-winning performance by Martin Landau. Um, I didn't realize he was Drusilla's dad. Yes. (laughs) Who is also Juliet Landau is in this film. Correct. I mean, pathos, depth. A historical figure in Hollywood. He fights with a giant unmotorized octopus and you feel his struggle. It is so good. <laughs> um, it's an actual performance rather than a cartoon from Johnny Depp, kind of in the early part of his partnership with Tim Burton when he was still turning out performances instead of like, oh, I'm Johnny Depp in a Tim Burton movie. I'm going to do that thing. Um it's a love letter to filmmaking to Hollywood. It's actually about something that's really emotionally complicated and adult. It's messy and problematic. Bill Murray is not a great fit. There are parts of this movie that don't age well. Mm-hmm. I don't think like mm-hmm. he plays his character's queerness, like a joke, which is so at odds with the sincerity of the rest of the movie. It's kind of baffling, but it's a really interesting movie. Um, I just, it's working on a lot of different levels. It looks beautiful. The black and white cinematography is great. And I think this is probably the most adult movie actually Tim Burton has ever and will ever make. There, I said it. <laughs> I, I agree that I agree on that last part for sure. It's like yep. the most adult film he's ever done, and in a more mature way, I think. I think he had an actual respect for Ed Wood that yes. comes through in it, and you could see how he was inspired by him. All that being said, I actually am with Jim on this one. I think I hear what you're saying about Big Fish's <laughs> problems. Oh my I god, do. it's so ersatz. Yeah. I do. <laughs> Look at how beautiful this carnival is. It's just like his love for life. Oh but it was same, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, that's the thing is to me it was lovely and it, I see where you're saying it's saccharine but I was mm-hmm. just getting sweet as I say as I drink mm-hmm. an incredibly sweet um, <laughs> seltzer iced tea lemonade thing that is like um, but it <laughs> I thought it was really charming and I liked it for all the reasons that Jim did the unreliable narrator completely worked for me why well, cannot think of the actor who is the the lead there the uh, Elf- 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 McGregor thank you Elf- I mean, Ewan McGregor is always well. Which one? Because there's several incredible yeah. in that film. I'm yeah. talking about Billy the Crudup, older version. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Oh, Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Thank you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I th- I just thought it was really, really lovely and very touching, and it was still quintessentially Burton, but without being um, the like lack of any pulse the way that a lot of his ones were. We were saying that a lot of his you know post 2000s work kind of was diminishing returns, but not Big Fish. I actually think Big Fish did what he was hoping Big Eyes would. Um, what was I going to ask about? Is this one original? It felt original to me. It's based, it's based on, on a book. It's based, based on, on a book. Damn it, story Tim of some sort. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, and Bob, where are you on this one? But, but you, yeah, I'm with Big Fish, but you can see it's based on something, but you can s- this is one of those films, and you'll see this in a lot of his other films too. You can tell when he truly identifies or cares for the subject matter, just like Ed Wood, right? Like Ed Wood mm-hmm. and Big Fish, I think both fall into this. They're both very similar movies. Yes. yes. Yeah. I think that they, um, you know, I just love, I love Big Fish so much. Like I think this, and I think there's something to be said that most of the actors in Big Fish are actors he hasn't used before. So yep, yeah, I, I, I applaud I applauded him for saying he's, he's really good at putting together a cast. He has great casting directors. A lot of times they're the same casting director. Um, and he didn't use Johnny Depp in this one. He may not have been available for the <laughs> Ewan McGregor role. Um, but I, I just think, he's still good at pulling that together and he used actors that he, that aren't his standards. Right. So I, I, I love it for that. And it, it brings a freshness to it um, in his filmmaking. Um, I think Ed Wood very much is his, he identifies very much with Ed Wood. He's an influence very much by those B movies you'll see in, in a later film that he does make himself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I think that there's a lot of um, autobiography to it a little bit for him. I don't think he wears mm-hmm. dresses, but, um, you know, I think that he identifies so much with that, that he loves that as well. But I, I think that Big Fish, from a storytelling perspective, for Tim Burton is where where he shines for me in that regard. So I, I would put that one ahead because it takes me on a it takes me on a tail. It takes me away um, to something else. So that yeah, that's where where I am with that. So Edward is more of him being a fan of that story and the idea of create creating something with a crew of people yes. uh, making a film. It's about it, filmmaking. It's, it's a yeah. love of that. Where yeah. I, I'd say I, I could say see where you're saying like it's a little uh, Big Fish ends up being a little more personal. Now I'm going to go on a, go on a second to uh, a little sidetrack about Dumbo again. <laughs> yes, drag it. Okay, so so <laughs> drag it, drag Disney it. Disney saw Big Fish and and they're like, hey, we got to reboot Doom, Dumbo. Hey, let's do Big Fish with Dumbo. And so <laughs> they convinced him, brought him a big bag of money, and said, here, why don't you make uh, just you know Big Fish it up? It has it has Danny <laughs> DeVito. Yep. It has um, you know, Michael Ke- <laughs> you know pulling Michael Keaton from Batman and Beetlejuice too. We'll pull him into um, you know in a kind of a Mac kind of performance. We can't uh, get Con- you a McGregor. We'll get that other guy. <laughs> yeah, Colin Farrell. Right. Yes, basically the same person. Right. And um, it's it has all, it steals like Dumbo steals so much from Big Fish. I think that's part of the reason I disliked it because I was like I like this other film and why did you do it again with like some with a, with an elephant in there. Money. And so so he probably went fell back on a lot of these great things he did in the first film. Yeah. I kind you know and just kind of re- did it over again. And now Kate, but at the same time but at the same time too like I Tim Burton is the person I want to remake Dumbo, but that's yeah. not the Dumbo I wanted to. No. I know this is me being being the terrible fanboy person, right? That right. that's not that's not it. Tim, no, you, you he did it. it. He didn't do what you wanted him. To. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Oh no, oh, I've had a lot of that this week. Trigger, trigger. First I'm very triggered. <laughs> now uh, another thing too, I think uh, the story. I love the story too because in this, just in the sense that, and Kate, you being an author, you should love this aspect, right? That the characters in our story stories uh, are based on real people they're exaggerated they're slightly changed but they're real people and i think that reveal at the end sorry to spoil it for anyone um does add a lot to the meaning of the overall film it's the best part of the movie but i still mm-hmm. find it enormously facile i'm sorry i really don't mm-hmm. like I big love, fish no, I, I, <laughs> it does I, not I, work I, for I, me i think I, maybe like you said jim for that reason i'm like his whole life was telling tall tales mm-hmm. and this is the only reveal that's the yeah. only it's there's it feels very 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 surface to me uh-huh. and it looks beautiful it's a beautiful surface but it just Ed really would excited much more going on in it is <clears throat> i'm really excited that i brought jim to the podcast he can go toe-to-toe <laughs> with kate and i think that's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> which is which is hilarious because you i think you called me on because of my love of ed wood so many years ago yes. oh yes. man come my ironies but all with right, that said right. big fish is advancing ed wood is out i'm sorry ladies and gentlemen okay. you have to make a call but that was a great okay. debate Ooh, that one was a birth that was I a love, birth i love the volley it was i'm watching the olympics this weekend it's very much that all right so the majority of the panel had bats on the brain preferring one seed batman returns but bob's taste have gone to the dogs as he's pushing four seed frank and weenie bob why are you savoring this wiener i will whip up votes for batman returns bob you go first Sure. I think I'm obviously in the minority, I think, when it comes to this. I'll have a go at it. I, I really love Frank and Weenie. I love the short. I love the the um, stop motion animated version of this, the the full length. It, to me, is a, it's an original Tim Burton idea. So it in, in and of itself makes it a more of a Tim Burton film, so to speak. 
Um, I think, the, again, the main character, I think, is very much modeled after himself. This is another project that it's clear that he's in love with, that he enjoys. He went back to a previous you know, a project from years ago to say, I want to, I, I want to flesh this out more. And he did a really great job. I think that stop, he's has such a passion for animation and just stop motion animation in general. And it so shows in this film, like everything is so beautifully, beautifully created, The it's in black and white. Um, <clears throat> uh, so it has that aspect to it. Um, it's very much a love letter to in an homage to classic horror films, just again, much like that Ed Wood piece <laughs> again. So it's again, in that same vein, um, I don't love Batman Returns. Um, I, I realize that the performances in Batman R- Returns are great, but it's kind of gross. Danny DeVito is disgusting <laughs> in it. Um, I think it's less approachable by audiences than Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie is a more broad appeal. Families can approach it. You, you can watch it and it's charming and it's cute. Um, Batman Returns, either you, you, you're totally into it, you love it, but or you're with me where you're like, eh, okay. And at the end of the day, it's also Batman, which when I'm putting it up against the Frankenweenie, I'm thinking, well, Tim Burton's more going to be the Frankenweenie than he is the Batman. He's making the Batman film, albeit putting his his stamp on it. But um, go ahead. I hear all of that. Hmm. Um, and I do think Frankenweenie is clearly a passion project for him. It was This was like the movie he was trying to get made. I think even before Beetlejuice, like in the that, beginning, yeah, yeah the very the beginning, yep. and Little Barrett Oliver, <laughs> and the studios were just like, yeah, no, we're not going to make this here. Make this instead. Like it was definitely back to like Edward Scissorhands when this was in its in yeah. infancy, right? <laughs> so I I admire him going back and saying like, this is something that I love. This is very me as a creator, and I really want to revisit this and actually fully give birth to this thing that I loved and is me as a, as as a creative person. <clears throat> so I love that about it. I just don't care i think it's charming and it's but to me it's kind of a bit of frippery right and it also to me (laughs) hits a lot of the notes Mm -hmm. that a lot of other tim burton films hit and they hit them better nightmare before christmas corpse bride like we we've seen that shtick before i obviously it's a little bit different but to me it's it's very much like Mm -hmm. okay i got it Batman return and let me address Batman in general the Tim Burton Batman because you made a comment like well it's it's Tim Burton and Batman puts a stamp on it Tim Burton completely revolutionized Batman with the 89 movie like yep. um I mean not just like put his we'll fingerprint get on we'll it get we'll get there <laughs> but like he completely reorchestrated the entire Batman mythos and tone in a way that nobody else had so we'll get to that with the actual original one but I want to talk about returns because I hear what you were saying that Batman Returns is gross. But what I want to challenge you and everybody listening here is do not think of Batman Returns as a children's film or a family film. Mm-hmm. Think of it as an adult film. And it's amazing. Hot take. Batman Returns is way better than Batman. I, 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 yes, yes, it is. It is. <laughs> I, and I will get to that when we get to Batman specifically. But in terms of its plot, in terms of its visuals, in terms of its action sequences, it's spectacular. Um, it also, uh, you will, I will make this argument when we get to original Batman that really the only great scenes in, involve the villain. Um, both villains actually all three villains in Batman Returns are amazing. And say what you will about DeVito's Penguin, he is horrifying and really, really gruesome. Um, I mean, there's, there's that scene in the election office where he's coming on to the woman and then the person makes some <laughs> yeah. comment and he bites the nose. Like, that's <laughs> yep. incredible. Danny DeVito 
destroyed that role in the yep. best possible way. It's disgusting. It's un- it's uncomfortable to look at him on the screen. It's horror. It it's, is. It's it's horror. Is what it's it is. Horror. And he took what was a campy, th- goofy villain who used like comic like umbrellas in the comic strips in 1960s TV show. Oh, I got a cute one. Right, exactly. And made him genuinely terrifying in this movie. Like his plot is to kill every firstborn son of Gotham for revenge against his parents. That's pretty incredible. There is no better Catwoman than Michelle Pfeiffer. Nope. I will fight people on this. I hear yep. you with your Eartha Kitts and your um, Mayweathers and uh, all of that stuff and uh, Julie Newmars. I-, I hear all of that stuff. Michelle Pfeiffer is incredible in this role it, it's even better watching it now it, it, you know 20 something 30 something years later it, it is it is i really genuinely think if you and, and christopher walken in the most christopher walken role ever <laughs> um it is a not that's made for kids and that's by the way why he did not do batman forever is the studio was like you can't do this this is yeah. way too dark we cannot continue to have like this is a huge money making project for us and like half of our audience can't see the movie because you're fucking terrifying them i think batman returns is maybe the scariest movie he's ever made which is funny because he's made actual horror films yes it is <laughs> yes. i agree you, i agree you would watch if you had to pick you'd, you'd watch batman returns before you watch batman 100 not even, I wouldn't even have to flinch. Okay. Absolutely. And I've watched Batman for the reason. We'll get to this when we get to Batman. But anyway, that's my arguments. Jim, where are you on this one? Well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to echo Eric's uh, ideas. Um, I think if we're looking at the most Burton-esque film, um, I had a, like, I, I felt torn because I was like, well, Batman is the first time he did it, but Batman Returns feels more like a Tim Burton film in the way, the use of German expressionism, the the lights and shadows, the in just the creepy nature of it. I, I feel like it has more of his his, his uh, take on it. Um, and Frank and Weenie, I, I feel like, you know, when uh, musicians or, or artists or filmmakers are petering out on their career and they're not making a lot of successful things, they look around and say like, hey, what have I had sitting around for a while that I could work on and uh, redo again? And I, I kind of feel like Frank and Weenie is that, where he did do that at the beginning. He had the short film and he, you know, I'd rather see something more original from him, but it, that's a it's also very good. Yeah. I invited you to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I can take you out. <laughs> I said I said I knew I was going to be in the minority on this. I wanted to yeah. speak on it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you did a great job. It's a good argument for it. And I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I just think it's up against Batman Returns. And I really do think yeah. that's the better uh, especially the Batman films, it's the better one. If it had been up against something other than Batman's Returns, like you put it up against, you know, some of his other other stuff, I'm probably not going to pick it. It's just Batman Returns for me is such a dud in my for me. Um, personally, that um, I, that's why I was like, well, I have to go with Frank and Weenie on that. So. I get, I get it. Kate, you're sticking with Batman Returns. One hundred, yes, one hundred. So we will be advancing Batman Returns. Keeping it one hundred. Keeping it one hundred. Another seventy-five percent division this time, with the bulk of us preferring two seed Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But Kate has lost her head for three seed <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Kate, what? explain why we should follow the White Rabbit and vote for Alice. Bob, convince us to go along on Pee Wee's Adventure and tell him Large Marge sent you. Bob, you go first. Um, I don't see a contest here. Let's start. Um, so, so Pee-wee is a great movie. That's It was made in 1985, and it still stands up today. There is really not much to this that is really flawed to me. There is a, there is a moment that's a little problematic where he's wearing a dress, but... Other than that, like there's nothing that's cringeworthy at this point. When I watch that film, it is um, from beginning to end entertaining. I watched it again this morning. Um, <laughs> it is his first feature length film. 
Um, while it's not his original property, he and Paul Rubens were the perfect pair for his first film. It's peculiar. They're both peculiar. They're both different. They're both weirdos. They get each other. They totally know what each other's each other was doing. Right? They trusted each other completely to handle really Paul Rubens' character. Right? They have the similar humor styles, the sensibilities. You can see Tim Burton's mark on this from a lot of the different dream sequences. You can really see the seeds of Beetlejuice starting. Um, you know, he was working on his style throughout this and the style matches so well with what Paul Rubens was doing with the character as well. Um, I think everybody, the cast is completely committed from beginning to end. No, nobody's like looking down on the material in any way. Everybody wanted to be there. Everybody wanted to do it. Um, they, you know, they knew exactly the movie that they were making. It was just, there's a lot of joy, a lot of fun. It's one of the lighter, more entertaining uh, Tim Burton films because it's not as as dark and dreary as most of his other work, right? It was the perfect vehicle for his first picture. You know, Pee Wee was a big deal, and and for the you know he's worked for Disney a lot. Tim Burton did right previous to that, but he hadn't made a film yet. And to take a risk, uh, he would have been a risk as a filmmaker based sure. on his style, based mm-hmm. on the way he is. But this matched so perfectly with him. They're like, let's give that. I don't know how it all happened in specifics, but like Tim could do that, right? Tim Burton could do that because it worked so well for him that it really was able to launch him into things where he could make Beetlejuice, where he could be selected to do something like Batman going on. Like it's really, it's really, really great. I'm not going to say that it's his best picture, but in this pair up, absolutely. Um, You know, I dreaded even wanting to watch Alice for this, uh, to do research (laughs) for this. I was like, that was so, that was awful. The first time I saw it, it was the only time I had ever seen it. And I, you know, I love Tim Burton, but, and I hate to be so negative on a film that he made in that regard, but, oh gosh, I really didn't want to have to watch it. And it's just really CGI visually, just very, uh, I fake. And it, there's just there, it's soulless a little bit for me. So, um, <laughs> well, I mean, on that note, Kate, I, I, I went long winded on that, but I went long winded on that. Sorry, but I didn't. No, no, it's, it's, it's fine. And honestly, look, I know how this is going to go down. Should Pee Wee go all the way to the top? Yes, it should fight Edward Scissorhands to to the death. But I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Um, I could not not vote for this movie, though. Alice in Wonderland. I love Alice in Wonderland as a property, as a story, as a property. Oh, my God. Listen to me. I'm sure. such a child of the 21st sure. century. <laughs> and this film, like Sky High, if I had seen it when I was a child, it would have been a formative text. Mm. Mia Wasikowska in a full suit of armor slaying a goddamn Jabberwocky. Like, I love her as an actress. It is soulless. It is plastic. It is not a great movie. But you do have these weird touches that are like more interesting than they need to be. Crispin Glover is the knave of hearts. Helena Bonham Carter is the queen. Annie Hathaway giving a slightly deranged performance as the queen, as the white queen. Weird that it's not more deranged. And yes, stupid Johnny Depp is there as the Mad Hatter barf. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing anyone. that role. Anyone. Literally, literally anyone. anyone. Else. Literally, literally anyone. Literally. It would be not as bad. <laughs> um, it's a live-action Disney remake. It's the beginning of live-action Disney remakes that isn't a regurgitation. Yeah. Um, it's entirely its own thing. It should not win against Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But, you know, just thinking of me as a young child, I would have loved this film. And as an actual young child, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was too chaotic and terrifying for me. So... It is large, scary. large. It is oh my scary god, large marsh scared yes. the hell out of me. It brought up. It brought it to me. It brought us 
tell them large Marge sent you. And is there something you'd like to share with the group? Amazing Larry. (laughs) (laughs) It was just too. I mean, again, I feel like as I've gotten older, I completely appreciate Paul Rubens and Pee Wee, like especially the TV show for how chaotic it is, for how queer it is for like all, all this wild stuff that's going on. Like I get it more as a kid, but as a child, I was such an order Muppet. I did not know what to do with it. So, I, I totally respect that. Yeah, yeah, I totally respect that, Kate. Um, Jim, are, you're with Pee Wee on this one? Um, yeah, I would say I'm, I am I share your love for Alice in Wonderland as a property, but um, I'm still holding out for a good version of it. I mean, um, that's that's a good thing to hold out for. Keep holding out for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I actually am with Kate. We I need a hero. We need a hero. <laughs> I, I do not hate Alice in Wonderland. I do not hate Burton's Alice in Wonderland. I understand what you're saying about the it ha- feeling soulless and the CGI being a mess, but this is one place, and we've kind of touched on this before, I think Burton and CGI are terrible combination generally yes. speaking he does really bad with it i think he has to have kind of like his fingers and things for it to be real to him which is weird given his whole kind of aesthetic but um i think in this case the visuals are so surreal that it actually works for the property so while it does look incredibly fake to me that, that that's like one half step away from dreamlike and mm-hmm. so i i didn't have a problem with this in the way that i had a problem with other CGI heavy properties that he's done. And I agree with Kate, like there's some cool stuff that takes the characters from the Alice in Wonderland property and um, explores them in ways that are much more feminist. Um, Mm -hmm. Although you could make the argument that the original Alice was kind of feminist for its time. Oh, it definitely is. All she does is like point at all the people who are gaslighting her constantly. Right. (laughs) Right. And so like, I I appreciated that energy from it. Um, But I agree 100% the Pee-wee needs to advance here. There's no question. So that will be moving on to round two. We have two more unanimous decisions with 1989's Batman, a one seed, uh, which gave Tim Burton's version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory a a four seed, a sour ending while two-seed Mars Attacks zapped three-seed Sleepy Hollow's chances. I will say um, I'm glad that Willy Wonka's out. Um, As someone who dearly loves the original with Gene Wilder, I can admit that it was due for a redo because it was very dated. Gene, If you could just take Gene Wilder's entire performance and just put that into a modernized version of it, then I think we'd be great. But um, number one, Johnny Depp completely miscast here Ooh. i get that mm-hmm. he was trying to do an anna wintour shtick but um but why huge mess right from the <laughs> he was actually computer. there was actually like a lot of his ed wood performance you could yes. see in in that too it was very strange it's so strange very but like strange. in ed wood he's sort of like there's almost a naturalism to his manic weirdness mm-hmm. in ed wood that is completely big, unnatural well, like, they both had big teeth yeah <laughs> so with his big yeah. teeth they both had big teeth they oh, did. um but uh to me i mean you want to talk about a soulless movie and cgi that mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. like the the nadir is that how we say it nader i always say it nader but apparently nadir is it um, nadir I, I don't know. The, I don't know. It's one of those N- words I always see written. <laughs> Correct. N a d i r of Timber in CGI. <laughs> uh, crap of the Leave it in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's but it's it's bad, folks. And I tried. I really tried. And it's not just because I love the original so much, but my God, that remake is really bad. And then um, I I love Mars Attacks. I'm glad it's concluding. But I think Sleepy Hollow is underrated, and I think it deserves more love. I would like to see that one get a little bit more um, appreciation, especially around Halloween season for some odd reason mm-hmm. we just kind of forget it and
And I actually don't think there's anything wrong with Sleepy Hollow. I think it's fun and spooky and it does exactly what it's setting out to do. Christopher Walken's hilarious in that movie. incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got Christina Ricci doing a very good job in the ingenue role. You've got, um, is it Miranda Richardson? Yes. Who's crazy in that role. Um, Like there's a lot of really good pieces to that movie and I feel like it's the forgotten Tim Burton movie that nobody really It's a really great movie. It has incredible style. It almost has a slightly too complicated plot. Mm. I think that's what it is. That's the, it's like, that's the problem. I it's think it's like all the people who signed, who knew about the widow Van Garrett, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it's, it, it's a it unravels like in the end with that regard. That's that's yeah, yeah. the main problem for me is it really just unravels with the plot in the end. It's just like, uh, okay, and just stick to the Sleepy Hollow story, please. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I can right. hear that, but I do think it's better than we give it credit for. So I'd like to see. Oh, I like, agree with you. I agree with you. It should be out, but I do want to give it some love. So we are evenly split between The Nightmare Before Christmas and Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Jim, why do you think Todd is a cut above? And I will ask you all to stop, collaborate, and listen to why Nightmare is Tim Burton's dream project. Jim, you go first. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, I mean, he's done a few musicals. Um, this one, you know, he's he's taken Sondheim, which is which is amazing. And I think that, that makes uh, a lot of this work really well with his own vision and all these terrible characters that as they're <laughs> supposed to be, you know, in the show, you know, they're doing terrible things. Um, he doesn't let you forget that either. I don't think, um, you could argue that this is his last great film. A- everything after this, since, uh, 2007 has kind of been downhill. Um, so maybe this was the thing that kicked it off. You have, uh, Alice in Wonderland, dark shadows, Frank and weenie break eyes, uh, the other ones we've mentioned and Dumbo, of course. Um, and so like, this is maybe, I, I feel like this is one I can still say is pretty good, uh, before those ones that follow that I don't love so much. Um, it's a perfect combination of that sleepy hollow corpse bride, Edward Scissorhands style with a stellar subject, innovative source material. And like I said, the music from Sondheim, um, speaking of musicals, can I go on a tangent again? Perfect. I want to talk about, <laughs> The film version of Rent. <laughs> oh, let's, oh, let's. oh, take me there, Jim. I, take me there. <laughs> I hated that movie. It's so oh, bad. It's so Welcome bad. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yes. So I don't really, I mean, I don't have an overwhelming love for Rent, or I didn't back then, but I had seen the show in person and I had uh, going to the film. I'm like, there's a filmmaker character and they're going to do innovative stuff, I'm sure. And then you go in and it's like, it's are, like a recording of a stage musical. But not even a good version of it. No. Yeah. And, you know, like it, the yeah. fourth tier cast, even though it's the actual original cast. I know, right. But. but it was like a like a like a made for TV movie kind yeah. of it's take on it. Real bad. Although the and, made for TV movie version of it was even worse. But that's <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. And so I, I bring that up because Sweeney Todd is not that it is a film version of a musical. It it explores what film can do for musicals versus what the stage mm-hmm. can do. The stage show works with audience, you know, the, the live audience. It's designed for the stage. The lighting is for that. This film is cinematic. It makes great use of editing, framing, close-ups, lighting, narrative arc, and most of all, the overall tone of the film, I think, feel seems even more fitting for the story and subject than the stage show. 
Yeah, I'm not going to argue any of that. I th- I think Sweeney Todd's really mm-hmm. good, and I have no negatives for that film. Literally, I have none. Even even Johnny Depp. I don't even mind Johnny Depp yeah. in this film. I think no, he's, he's quite good in it. Not at all. Um, he's, and I, he's well cast in it. Everybody's well cast in it across the board. <clears throat> um, there are zero negatives, and I agree with Jim's assessment that it is probably Tim Burton's last truly great film. Up until now, I have hope that he can come out and give us something amazing. I really do think that that's possible yeah. for him. Um, but I do think that we it's up against Nightmare Before Christmas, and unfortunately, that's the luck of the draw because everything you just said about uh, Sweeney Todd, Nightmare Before Christmas is a labor of love. It's not to the same level, I think, that Frankenweenie is in that he passed it over to Henry Selleck to do the actual direction of this, but I don't think there's any doubt that this is Tim Burton's vision brought to life by someone else. Like, Selleck was the midwife, but Tim Burton is the one who gestated this baby, right? And you want to talk mm-hmm. about creativity and something uh, that is an actual original one, right? Someone, p- please do not disabuse me. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yep. One hundred percent. It's an original idea. It's so interesting, I, and I don't even love the story as much as a lot of people do. I'm not a huge Halloween person, um, but I think this concept of the various Halloween characters or, or, or holiday characters all kind of being able to interchange with one another and chaos ensuing—that's <clears throat> fun right that's something kids can enjoy it's something adults can enjoy and the artistry involved in this film is unparalleled even if you don't like the story you can't knock the reality of it it was shot on 20 sound stages with 120 workers 227 puppets and 109,440 individual frames like it was painstakingly created and it's beautiful and it's still relevant how many years, 30 plus years after its release. Um, it surprises me they haven't done more with the property. I'd be curious if there's legal reasons why they can't. But um, to me, it, if this one, if we're looking at the two of them, has more, uh, no, uh, no pun intended with Jack Skellington, but the legs for this one are very long. <laughs> People still come to Jack, Sally, Mr. Oogie Boogie, Lock, Stock and Barrel. And it's like a multi-holiday film you can watch on both Halloween and Christmas. That's versatility, folks. I just don't know how you can have a, a like Elite Eight in Tim Burton land and not have Nightmare Before Christmas in there. But Kate, where are you on this? What did I originally vote? Uh, I think we're evenly split. <laughs> uh, I, I, I this time right here. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to give it up for Nightmare Before Christmas. It's not my favorite movie, you did but pick for it. those okay yeah, for those reasons for those reasons <clears throat> exactly. It is. And, it is just. <clears throat> Tim Burton through and through. Bob? So I picked Sweeney Todd when I picked this, right? Tim Burton film. Can somebody help me here? Like, I love <laughs> I love The Nightmare Before Christmas. It is top five, top three, top two. Like, it is one of my most favorite films of all time that I love to watch, and I'll watch it all times of the year, right? Everything you said about it is true, Eric, but he didn't direct it in the end. So I guess, how are we going to define, for me, to get me there, how are we defining filmmaking, like a Vision. Tim Burton film, Vision. right? And okay, I will give you that because at the same time, like, I don't think I, so let's use James and the Giant Peach as the other logical comparison here. Yep. It's same thing where he produced it. It's that one is based off obviously of a legendary children's book. I don't see Tim Burton in James and the Giant Peach to the level that I see Tim Burton in Nightmare Before Christmas. So yes, he did not do the actual direction. And what I was reading was like he was on set like maybe 10 days of the entire shoot, which went on for a really long time. But this was his vision that someone else just executed. He wrote the story. Right. It's based on a poem that he wrote. So I think that 
Like mm-hmm. when I think of like film, I think of vision, intention, story. Mm-hmm. You are correct that from a technicality perspective, it doesn't belong in this bracket. But I don't feel it would be appropriate to do a Tim Burton discussion without it. I can't make that decision for you. And I think you're valid in saying, uh, listen, yeah. when it comes down to it, I have to pick a Tim Burton film and I don't consider that to be a Tim Burton film. I, I'm not going to knock you on that. So what do you want to do? Well, yeah. So, you know, the reason that he couldn't do it is because of Batman Returns. Which you hate. Yep, which I hate. Um, no, I don't. I don't know. Do I I'm hate it? Did kidding. I say hate earlier? I don't know. Do, you, you you don't care for it. You know, yeah. And I and he phoned in like almost every single day. It was constant meetings. It was constant this, constant, constant, you know, him talking to Henry Selleck, walking him through it. Like there was a lot going on that he had his hands so involved that, you know, I've gone back and forth on this as we prepared for this. And I picked Sweeney Todd saying, well, Sweeney Todd's the one he directed. But, you know, based on everything we're talking about here and, and you know, not not like letting everybody know I, I'm pretty sure in a future round, it, there's a film that'll probably knock it out. I'm mm-hmm. going to move it forward. Okay. Sorry, Jim. <clears throat> That's okay. <laughs> Thank you for being a good sport. Uh, finally in round one, another unanimous victory for Edward Scissorhands, which called off the wedding for the corpse bride. Bob, you wanted to say something about corpse bride before we, before you moved on? Yeah. I mean, corpse, corpse bride is lovely. It's pretty. It's all of those things, but it's not doing anything at the love at the level of Frank and weenie or nightmare before Christmas. It's just, it's, we've seen it all before been there, done that. It, it's, you know, I like to equate it to the, to the Pixar movie Coco, which is so much better. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it's just, it's, it's nice. I would say, watch it and, and, and see it, but like, it's not, it's not a go-to for sure. It's not top of everybody's list. Okay. Fair enough. And it's out of our bracket for now. So that is it for round one, folks. We're going to take a quick break to commune with the spirits. We will be right back <laughs> after our impromptu rendition of Deo. Hey, Eric. So I heard, and this may be true, that you were actually the Great Pop Culture Debate's very first Patreon subscriber. (gasps) Was I? You were. You're not only a panelist, you're also a founder. Also a founder. I mean, it does give me a feeling of joy to contribute towards high quality podcasts like the Great Pop Culture Debate so that, you know, like I get swag. Yeah. What kind of swag do you get? Um, You get a button. That's the one I signed up for. Is there a tote? I feel like there should be a tote. There's not a tote yet, but that's a great idea. I have some other ideas that I'm working on. You get access to things early. You get access to Patreon only little mini-sodes. You get to hear the warm-ups before when everyone's just kind of getting their little sea legs before they get into the main the main attraction. And you get season zero. You get season zero. It's exactly right. You will never hear the otherwise, folks. And there's some great episodes in that, which include best Madonna single, best RuPaul's Drag Race lip sync, best uh, 90s cartoon. And the only way you can hear those is by getting a Patreon sponsorship with for as low as $2 a month. Then you even get season zero just for that. So so thank you very much, Kate. Uh, we appreciate all of our Patreon sponsors. And if you do have the interest, please go to patreon.com backslash great pop culture debates and support us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Welcome back to round two of our best Tim Burton film debate. The Martians have landed and the world is ending. Quick, how can people find you on social media so they can say goodbye, panel? Bob, how do people find you? You can find me at DizNerdBob at all of the things. All That's like Twitter things. and Insta, Insta, whatever. <laughs> yeah. All of the things all at DizNerdBob. Perfect. Thank you. Jim, how about yourself? You can find me on Twitter at at J-C-C-A-D, part of my last name. And uh, please feel free to follow me. I have five followers right now. (laughs) (laughs) Three of them are in this room. (laughs) He wants attention. He craves attention. And Kate, how about you? Uh, I am on Instagram, if you like cat pics, at at Gomez Rack and on Twitter at Kate Raculia. I highly recommend the cat pictures. Oh, it's thank true. you. The cat thank pictures you. are so, off so the So would Jim's wife. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, as for me, you should definitely follow at Great Pop Culture Debate on Instagram and at Culture underscore Debate on Twitter. I still don't know why we decided to do that, but here we are. And feel free to follow <laughs> at Eric Resniak on Instagram and Twitter. That's uh, at E R I C R E Z is in zebra, S is in snake, N is in Nancy, Y A K. So, with that out of the way, we're moving on to the debates. And first up, we have Beetlejuice versus Big Fish. And I believe we are unanimous here in our decision to send Big Fish to join the Sandworms in Limbo. Correct, Jim or Bob? Any objections? No, I'm no, that is that true. Is, that is true. And Kate is delighted for Big Fish to be out of the picture. I am. Uh, <laughs> I'll, next- say, I'll save my Beetlejuice conversation for later. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, next, we are evenly split between Batman Returns and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Jim, why should Pee-wee road trip into the final four? Kate, why is Returns the best of Bat- Burton's Bat franchise? And I'm going to have Kate go first. All right. So you did a marvelous job supporting Batman Returns in the previous uh, round. So I would say refer to that. But also... It's a Christmas movie. It, it gets <laughs> it gets better every time you watch it. It really does. Like I I don't even think I saw it when it first came out. I think I I just I saw the original Batman and I liked it a lot, but I it just kind of missed it in the theater. And I remember reading the press about it at the time being like, "Oh, it's gross. It's bad." It's actually really great. Um, yeah, like I said, it gets bad. better every time you watch it. It is it is a Batman horror comedy um, written by Daniel Waters of Heather's fame. Mm. Um, and Michelle mm. Pfeiffer, everything about her Catwoman is literally iconic. It's mm. so... And that's the stuff that kind of just gets better and better with time. And I think, uh, you know, we'll talk about this when we talk about Batman and, and what Tim Burton did. Like superhero movies exist today because of what Tim Burton did in 1990, even though they don't exist in a Tim Burton style. But this is, I feel like this is a weirder, more Tim Burton-y version of that huge tentpole high concept movie. Um, it's really great. And also Oswald Cobblepot's dad is Paul Rubens. I just it felt is. like I should say that. Yes, <laughs> Correct. All right. And Jim, what about Pee-wee's Big Adventure for you? Uh, Speaking of Paul Rubens, right? Yeah. Um, So I feel like this is uh, the perfect combination of a variety of talents who... um who came out to make great things. Uh, they all had fresh energy, their beginning of their career, and they had this inspiration to create something really fun and new. It was Tim Burton's directorial debut, Paul Rubin's debut as a, as a film lead, Danny Elfman, at his first debut was creating film scores. You have the screenplay by Paul Rubens, Michael Varthal, and Phil Hartman from Saturday Night Live early in his year, uh, early in his career. And it's it's funny, it's quirky, it has all the elements of what people define as Burton-esque, while also sharing the stage with Paul Rubin's vision 
and Danny Elfman's thoughtful score. Um, it might, it's a kind of interesting to go in and just look at what Danny Elfman was thinking about when he made the score. It's worth a Wikipedia, you know, search. Um, so perhaps it's not his best, like not the best Tim Burton film. Um, but I think it's a best combination of creative energy working together for a, a creation that he made. So perhaps it, um, might not deserve to be the highest honor, but it would, because it shares with other creative forces, but it is a great, I think it's his best combination of creative forces to make a final product. You know, Jim, that's such an interesting argument because I had not thought of it that way, but it's true in that pretty much every other film we're seeing here, it's Tim Burton in the driver's seat and he's dictating pretty much everything. And here he was collaborating. Like that was not a Tim Burton mm-hmm. joint, like the way a Spike Lee film is. It was mm-hmm. Tim Burton's directing, but it's a script by very talented screenwriters and it's yeah. a concept by a star and he's delivering, but it's not his movie. That does actually does not, I'm making it sound like it's a criticism and it's not. It's actually, oh. I think it speaks to him for a, a first feature film. It's actually quite audacious what he was able to do. Um, and it is, you wouldn't have any of the rest of it if this wasn't a hit, right? Like right. this, you, you mm-hmm. can't discount right. the, the, the primacy argument here. Um, so Bob, I'm going to guess you're going with Peewee here. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I see all the arguments and you know, I, I don't have much more to say about Peewee. I kind of, Forgive me for saying this. I kind of blew my wad, kind of like Paul Rubens <laughs> in that theater in the first round. In the first round, or Paul Rubens, by the way, that's bullshit. <laughs> yes, justice for a total bullshit. Total I, bullshit. We support Paul Rubens on this. We stand him, one hundred percent. Just let him live his but, life. Exactly. Yes. What are you going to do at a porn theater? Plant corn? Right. I mean, come on. But, but to to really piggyback off of what um, Jim shared. I think they it was that collaboration of a lot of firsts, right? And they did such a good job, right? It was like, wow, this was really out of the park for a, from a success standpoint of like, so Danny Elfman had never done a film score before. What? Like, you gave me circus realness, man. And, <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, I think it is a much better Tim Burton film. This is, I'm going to go with that Tim Burton argument. Um and from, I, I guess it doesn't really work in this in this case because they're both properties that aren't his in the end. But um, I'm going to go with it anyway. So take that. <laughs> <laughs> so it leaves a split. And um, here's my feeling on it. I th- personally feel that Batman Returns is a better film here. But I think you can make the argument as a sequel, it's less um, essential than mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. the original, even though I maintain Batman Returns is a better film than regular Batman. Um but ultimately, Bob, this is your podcast, so I'm going to give you the tiebreaker, which <gasps> I think means it's it's Ooh. it's Peewee's Big Adventure. Uh, we're going to push Peewee ahead. Okay, there you go. <laughs> there, there it is. With there great is. power comes great response to Trinity. All right. Uh, so yeah, it's everything I want in Tim Burton. There you go. <laughs> so third, we are evenly split again between the first Burton Batman and Mars Attacks. Bob, explain why Batman should continue to dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. I will play the soulful croonings of Slim Whitman and blow your minds in favor of Mars Attacks. I'm going to have Bob go first. Darling, you wouldn't believe the day I've had. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is a super tough pairing for me. These are great movies, both. I love both of them very much. Um, And, you know, with Batman, we've talked about it previously with Batman Returns. Talk about being so successful in bringing the comic book movie to the screen, defining comic book or like superhero movies for the next generation, right? Like he redefined it. We had, we had Richard Donner with, with Superman and all of that, but like these are, these are, 
actual panels of comic books coming to life on the screen, yep. the lighting, the style, the the fog and the mist of, of Gotham, like bringing the streets of Gotham to the screen flawlessly, right? Um, it really introduced us to the Dark Knight version of Batman. It's no longer that goofy Sockam Pow Wham mm-hmm. um, of the of the series. Um, I think it's a really good marriage of filmmaker with intellectual property, right? Like it's perf- it, he's perfectly matched to this at this time, right? At the time that they were making this, this was perfect. Um, it really you can't you can't look at this movie, and I, I know you're going to say that Batman's Batman Returns was better, right? But you can't look at that and say, wow, that's what did we do there? Like it's, it's, you can't, you can't deny how good that movie is. I, I guess in my, in again, in my opinion, but mm-hmm. uh, Mars attacks. And, you know, I think we'll talk about this and I don't want to take anybody else's argument. It's a little, it's a little messy. It's, it's got a lot of great cast in it. He cashed in a lot of favors to get a lot of great names in this movie. Um, but it's, it's really messy. There's some problems in it. We talked earlier about, um, Bill Murray's portrayal in Ed Wood. There's some moments in this as well. I would say Tim Burton's not always really great when it comes to queer representation. Like he kind of goes for the joke mm-hmm. um, as opposed to anything else. Um, there's some problems there, but it's, it's kind of messy. I, I understand what they were doing, what he was doing, you know, and it's shocking to me that I, I believe it came out the same year as um, Independence Day. And it's like, almost like, wow, this is just like, like, he hit so many notes of Independence Day in that movie. I'm like, yeah. wow, great job. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, that sounds about right. So here's here's but, the thing. Yeah, Batman, I think is a little bit is is better in that in that case because it's a better fi- from a filmmaking perspective. It's so much better. I, I will first say my issues with Batman, uh, which are having watched it again as an adult, and I I absolutely was obsessed with this movie when it came out. I was a little comic reading gay boy, so this was huge for me. Um, and I do think there's so many things that it does right, and I'm not trying to discount any of them, but it is a very slow movie to watch now. It just drags um the best parts of the movie are easily anytime jack nicholson's on the screen i mean he almost single-handedly is saving that movie michael keaton doesn't have a hell of a lot to work with and i i think that um basinger is great as vicky vale but it's a very one note damsel in distress performance right um but without nicholson in that movie i can't even imagine what it would be it would be dour like seriously dour. But um, I think you wouldn't, as you pointed out, you wouldn't have so many movies after it. I mean, bear in mind, the success that Batman gave us, the renewed Dick Tracy, it gave us Rocketeer, it gave us The Phantom, Mm -hmm. it gave us The Shadow. Now, were any of those successful? No, they were not. But um, (laughs) the fact that they were made at all is a testament to how successful Batman was. It was huge. So huge. And they tried. And actually, I think some of those movies, The Shadow is way better than anybody gives it credit for. Certainly Rocketeer is. Um, And what was the first one I mentioned? Oh, Dick Tracy. Uh, Dick Tracy is actually really good. Um, It's a great movie. We need to have a a justice for um, the 90s uh, comic book films because there's some great films in there that got completely dismissed. But I'm here to talk about Mars Attacks. And and Bob is correct. (laughs) Bob, it is a messy film. It is a messy, messy, messy film with a gigantic cast. But let's talk about the cast. Jack Nicholson again, Glenn Close, Pam Greer, who gets wasted, as as I believe Kate would argue. Wasted. Uh, Wasted. 
Annette Benning, Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan, Michael J. Fox, Lucas Haas, when people still actually cared about him, Natalie Portman, <laughs> Jack Black, before people cared about him, and the icon, Sylvia Sidney. <laughs> and that's Sydney! just... I think, her swan, I think it was her swan song. I, and what a swan song it was. And and there's even more than that, folks. That's just off the top of my head. Um, it is a weird little movie, right? It is the weirdest little Tim Burton movie. And it is based on an existing property, the Topps cards from the 1960s. But to me, it still felt original by the zany tone of it all, right? Like it's it's wacky. That's the only way to describe this film. It's mixing B-movie sci-fi horror with like, it's camp. Like it is just yes. full on mm-hmm. camp. Yes. Um and even though it is very much a pastiche of the 50s and 60s sci-fi films, I still felt to me that it was very modern and really fresh in its own way. Um, just the bonkers, it, like the best Burton films have a bonkers element to it. We haven't gotten to Beetlejuice, but certainly that's true of that. And Scissor Hands, I would argue. Um, but like, look at the Sarah Jessica Parker Chihuahua thing, the the entire yeah. Sylvia Sidney Lucas Hop. Has plotline, and then Tom Jones, like the whole yes. thing is yes. just so random. The part, the part at the end where he comes out and feeds the deer. Yes, yes. <laughs> to me, I think it is so weird, and and like I don't want to use the term cute because it's not. It's actually really kind of creepy. Um, but it just works on so many levels. It like Sleepy Hollow to me. It is kind of an underrated Burton film, and I think it probably informed the tone of films like Zombie land and Shaun of the dead which mixed like wholesale slaughter with really funny comedy and um i think the martians themselves have a real puckish charm and i i, I wish there'd been more because i think <laughs> they could have been like minions or gremlins if people had actually embraced this movie the way that i wish they had but all that said i've gone on too long jim where are you on this one well i, th- I find it interesting that you say that like batman kind of this version defined many films to come and same like you said mars attacks may have qualified a comedy you know a sci-fi that has a lot of death in it um but i do feel like batman is a stronger one in that sense that it you know uh, going down a rabbit hole on the internet one day i i was reading an interview with michael keaton about why they didn't do the third film and you had mentioned it earlier but they he said that they were really pushing for like that nolan vision for those films and that's where where superhero movies went you know like that's where everything you know you said the 90s ones but i mean would we have the mcu and all of that in the way it is now without what tim what they did in in batman Mm -hmm. fair point so you're you're going team batman yeah mars attacks uh followed ed wood i i loved the structure and the writing of ed wood and then mars attacks was just a big mess yeah (laughs) same same kind of topic but really messy so i didn't quite get it then and i rewatched it recently and thought i see what he's doing there but it still didn't work for me that's fair uh kate how about you uh i i think i may have originally said mars attacks but the sort of like you know lodestar to a particular entire genre and filmmaking argument about batman has brought me over to batman and and i did just recently rewatch mars attacks which i also saw in the theater with you and bob drink mm-hmm, drink um <laughs> and like i remember loving it cuz it was just so stupid and and it looks it still looks incredible like tim burton has never made a movie unless it's like over reliance on cgi like it still looks great the style of it the style of the martians the style of the flying saucers and everyone's costume it really looks great still but there's and it is camp right but there's there's not a lot else there um 
in terms of like, I found myself about a third of the way through the movie, just like farting around on the internet, which like, I don't always do. I'm a pretty focused rewatcher. So I got to give it to Batman. Okay. But I do love, I do love Pierce Brosnan's disembodied head falling in love with Sarah Jessica partners <laughs> mm-hmm. head, Sarah Jessica Parker's head on her dog's body. And then I they crash into the ocean and, and they crash and into certainly the ocean. die. Like yes. that's, <laughs> Man, pathos, pathos. Seriously, you gotta love it. All right, so we are advancing Batman here. Finally, it's the nightmare. So, Bef- go, so, go ahead, Bob. I was gonna say, so Mars attacks goes down like the Nancy Reagan chandelier on <laughs> closest head. <laughs> it's not Nancy Reagan chandelier. Um, so we will be advancing Batman. Finally, it's Nightmare Before Christmas versus Edward Scissorhands. I believe going into this, we were unanimous that Edward should advance. Has anyone changed their mind, Bob? I have not. Okay, Jim. Oh, it's so good. All right, and Kate? Uh, No, Edward. Edward. All right, great. So that means we have a final four of Beetlejuice versus Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Batman versus Edward Scissorhands. I always like to stop at the final four, take a step back and see if that's where we ended up. Bob, since this is your episode, what do you think about that final four? I'm happy with it. I think it's the right final four. I think you have on the left-hand side where he's kind of where he started and on the right-hand side, you know, where he where he really shined, um, right? Like that Batman Edward Scissorhands was where he was really like, those were Be- Beetlejuice and Bat- Pee-wee started it for him. He was able to do Batman because of that. And I think because of all of that, he was able to do Edward Scissorhands, uh, which was his own. So I think they all pair really well with one another. I would point out that there's nothing here after 1990. 90. 90. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, when we when double check that when when Eric shared all of the movies with us in chronological order, Kate asked, "Did you put these in order for me already?" From best <laughs> to worst, <laughs> I was like, seems right. <laughs> yeah, ninety. Edward Scissorhands was nineteen ninety. Yeah, so that is the most recent film on here. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that's a pretty damning condemnation of Mr. Burton's twenty <laughs> first century work. Is it a damning condemnation of Mr. Burton or the way the Hollywood system takes what is original True. and irons it out of you because money? Okay, there that's a go. fair point. There you go. I also think we can't knock nostalgia, but I I do believe. Yeah honestly that when you look at his entire canon these are among the force uh, there's like two or three others i could see being in here but even those two or three others are not anything from the last 10 years for sure and there's there's something too about tim burton and i i don't this is going to come out maybe sounding like a real read but like it says something to me when i think of like the most advanced or accomplished expression of your particular aesthetic did not grow Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. I mean, yep. do I think Ed Wood is a is a is an example of his aesthetic growing in a way? I do, but I do think a lot of his other output has continued to solidify the Tim Burton style over the Tim Burton growth. Like Agreed. there's there's something about I, it. I, yeah, go ahead. I said at the beginning, like Tim Burton was really what taught me, like, oh, this is a Tim Burton film, right? He taught me about yeah. like how a, how a director can mark a film that might be to his detriment at this point in his career, right? Like, because everybody knows exactly what you're going to get. It's kind of a, there's some recycled elements and quality to it. Whereas I think people like the, like when you talk about the Spielbergs and the Scorsese, like they, their styles and things like that evolved over time and they continued to grow as filmmakers. I'm not saying he didn't grow as a filmmaker. I'm just saying that I think that he, he relies a little bit too much on what's comfortable for him. Stop relying on Um, that body, Tim Burton. On bodies, multiple. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I, but I also think he's not willing to like try something too, yeah. right? Like he's yeah. like, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll try Planet of the Apes, sure, okay, mm-hmm. right? Like, yes, <laughs> right. But <clears throat> I agree that 
frankly, when I look at this, I think the main issue is he's not pushing himself. And there are other filmmakers I could put in Kevin Smith, who's in the same, mm-hmm. um, frankly, boat where they have their sweet spot. And anytime they start to venture even a little bit outside of it, they get criticized and they immediately scramble back because also they have a financial reason to do that because they're being paid a shit ton of money to yeah. stay in their lane. But for, as a creator, I think it would behoove him to really take some time and craft something that really surprises us. And I believe he has the ability to do that. I do. But I think he has to take what has worked for him and evolve it. You mentioned Spielberg and you can see an evolution over time where it's that same storytelling ability, but he's um, maturing and he's adding on new storytelling techniques that really serve the story, not just are there for you know, uh, frippery. So Tim Burton is still telling adolescent Tim Burton stories, yes, right? And yes, I think yes. that Steven Spielberg is, te- is is telling mature, I'm I'm an old guy filmmaker stories yes, at yeah. this yes. point, right? Like, like we're never going to see Tim Burton's Lincoln. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, want, to. I want to see I that. Want, and I believe he actually did I produce love for Abraham. Him to do the life of. I was gonna, go ahead. Um, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I'd love to see him do the life of Martin Van Buren. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, I believe he literally produced Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Vampire Hunter. So, so there oh, that go. is his there Lincoln. You go. There, there you go. go. <laughs> and that seems very much on topic. And you know what? He's a bajillionaire. If it works for him, like, God bless. God bless. Exactly. <laughs> He's listening to this podcast and being like, meh. Um, so while, while scrubbing his gigantic diamond ring, um, I'm thinking Liz Taylor in the Simpsons episode. Where did you yeah. They've always brought her luck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So anyway, let's get back to this final four. We've got Beetlejuice versus Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I'm going to go around the horn. Jim, which one are you going with? I'm going with Beetlejuice, but I kind of feel like a top four is a good way to look at Tim Burton, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's true. But that's not the show. It's not the show, babes. (laughs) Um, Kate, Beetlejuice or or Pee Wee? I'm going to give it to Pee Wee. Um, Beetlejuice... Again, it's it's another one of those, like, I appreciate it now. It scared the unholy bejesus out of me when I saw it as a child. And I was not a child who was scared by stuff. Like, I have no problem with all the other things that terrified children of the 80s. Like, bring me all of your Skeksis. Like, I, not mm. even blinked. But those sandworms and those shrimp cocktail that eat their faces and the way that he marries her against her will like it was horrifying to me as a child so living in kentucky um it's just like like (laughs) and so and i also i don't like clowns i just don't like clowns Mm. like and i think as we as i mentioned before a lot of them with tim burton exactly the (laughs) artificiality that sort of like i know you're not being you're not being authentic like that is like a weird discomfort thing for me so beetlejuice made me profoundly uncomfortable um what's his face baldwin is such a fox in that movie oh, oh god. my god he's such <laughs> oh, a smoke show in my that god movie. Oh. we are all <laughs> gina davis in that oh, movie i didn't even realize it at the time but i go back and i was like jesus christ <laughs> absurd. anyway okay. i mean i would i would not hate if either of these moved on they're both absolutely representative Tim Burton movies. All right, Bob. I'm going to, we haven't talked about it, but I'm going to go with Beetlejuice and I'm going to save most of what I have to say about it. Hopefully if it makes it through to the next round. Um, you know, I think that what Kate just said, is Alec true. I, Baldwin. Think both, I couldn't remember his name. Sorry. <laughs> I think both, I think both of these films are, are Tim Burton. I think Beetlejuice is the most Tim Burton or Burtony of it. Um, I think that it, it takes him, it's him doing his thing. Um, whereas 
Pee-wee's obviously not 100% his thing because it's it's really the Paul Rubens element to that. I think Beetlejuice takes it and allows him to really now do his own thing. And this is me as a filmmaker. This is who I am as a filmmaker. And that's what Beetlejuice is out of these two. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And it's interesting that you felt that it was not, that Beetlejuice is not him being authentic because I think it is authentically Tim Burton. Like I feel yeah. like that is fully his vision and you could say okay but it's did not I say, did i say that no, no okay, i said I that i said that yeah um, oh okay but i feel it's like it's not emotionally authentic it still feels like a pose to me it still feels like a, how wacky am i like it is, that yeah and we just digest this it is an adolescent male yes that's exactly what it is it's that i'm so edgy i'm so dark i'm so different i'm so weird it's that Goth. Goth, well, right? I Before. myself am strange and unusual. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. There you go. And that sounds like a read of Tim Burton, but at the time <laughs> it wasn't because there wasn't a lot of films that were doing that. So um, it's Beetlejuice for me. So we're advancing it. Finally, we have Batman versus Edward Scissorhands. I'm going to go uh, reverse order. Bob, which one for you? Um, Edward Scissorhands. Talk about uh, the love of his life. This film, I think, is. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my perception of it. I'm going to move that forward. Um, it is uh, between the two of them. I'll go with the same argument from the last. It's the more Tim Burtony of the two films, and they're both great films. So, yeah. Uh, Kate, <clears throat> absolutely. Edward Scissorhands. Still kind of an adolescent male story, but like much less aggressive in some ways uh i really love this movie also it's a beautiful final movie for vincent price mm, is oh, that his final movie his last movie that. oh, yeah that's lovely he dies I, he dies before he can give him hands and he i think he might have died before the movie even came out i don't know that for sure let me check that i yeah. think that is true but yeah look it up please <laughs> yes i will look it up right now jim um i agree Scissor hands is a is a more more personal, um, more more original kind of than compared to Batman. Um, you know, when my wife and I we teach film study in our English classes, and we use Edward Scissor hands as a, a model when we do those lessons because it, it's it's all there, all the great you know cinematic um, approaches. Yeah, I think it's got to be Edward Scissorhands. Nothing against Batman. We've talked at length about why it's important, and especially to Burton specifically, but film is, is a, and, and superhero films as a genre. But um, Edward Scissorhands is authentically Burton. And I think this is the correct final two Beetlejuice versus Edward Scissorhands. Did they like, were they one right after another, or was it Beetlejuice, Batman, then Edward Scissorhands for him? I think it was Beetlejuice. You got it. Batman. You got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, final two. Uh, I'm going to start with oh. Kate. Um, Beetlejuice versus Edward Scissorhands. I was incorrect. Uh, Vincent Price outlasted Edward Scissorhands by a couple years, but still it was his last movie. Okay. That he acted in. Uh, Edward Scissorhands by a mile. Okay. Uh, we will come back to that. But first I want to go, Jim, between the two of them, which one are you going with? Oh, it's uh, Beetlejuice for me, but I do love, like I said, love them all. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, Alec Baldwin, like every time we watch it, we have to think, oh yeah, that's him because he looks completely different in that film mm-hmm. being so young <laughs> to the the person and we see thin. today. So like that man was starving. You could tell. <laughs> and the like, and the uh-huh. like, the check shirt. Oh my God. Everything, yeah. the glasses, yes. everything works. <laughs> everything works. <laughs> Bob, for you. I'm picking Beetlejuice on this one. Um, are you going to come back around? Are we going to talk? Or I think we do need to talk because we haven't really talked about Beetlejuice at all. And Correct. we do not have unanimity. <laughs> we didn't really talk about Edward either. And I much, don't. So. Yeah. And so I want to talk about both of them now because I think, um, Kate, I want you to talk about specifically why you're voting for Edward Scissorhands here. Mm-hmm. I want to hear your argument. Um, okay. And then we'll go into Beetlejuice. But Kate, take it away. I just think that as an expression of it, of like an outcast, it's like an outcast story that is looking for 
affirmation community love. It has all of the the kind of quirky um, milieu, <laughs> like the sort of uh, 60s topiary pastel. It has all of those sort of like fripperies. I love that fripperies come up multiple times right? in this podcast. Yeah. It has all of those, but it actually does have what feels to me, it is adolescent, but it does feel to me like it's a very genuine love story in the middle of it. Um, and and it's it's strange and funny and it's awkward, uh, but I just think that it is a really it is beautiful in a way that feels earned in a way that many other Tim Burton things do not feel earned to me. CF Big Fish, um, but also like I this is also just pers- my personal preference. I will watch Edward Scissorhands every day of the week. I appreciate more than I like Beetlejuice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you are correct in that of these two movies, Cesar Hands has real heart. And yeah. I think it, I suspect it was very firmly rooted in his own childhood growing up in the 1960s. Obviously, he did not have Cesar Hands, or if he did, he's done a very good job recovering from that. <laughs> um, but there's I, real I, yearning and longing yeah, and loss in this movie. Like, it, it's really and more Christmas. And, a, and, and it's a great Christmas movie. It yep. is. And like, can you picture the Edward Scissor. Can you hear the Edward Scissorhands theme in your head right now? Yeah, you can. I can also picture the Beetlejuice one as well. That's part of my argument. (laughs) (laughs) Edward Scissorhands almost verges on a John Waters movie to me, and I mean that as a compliment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a love song to the the weirdos who survived the 1960s and became yeah. a creative class. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it has great performances from Winona Ryder and Johnny Depp. And I, I don't often say that because I, I am not a Johnny Depp fan at mm-hmm. all. But I think but he's, he's really great was, in it. He's yeah. great in it. And it's before he became capital J Johnny Depp. Um, and it's before Winona Ryder completely went off the deep end. And but so, bless her heart. We love her. We stand wine. We forever. stand. <laughs> we are here for the Winona Ryder comeback and we hope she never goes away. Um, but in truth, uh, for me, if I'm talking, if I, if you put a gun to my face and say, what is the Tim Burton movie that every person should watch? I'm not going to say Edward Scissorhands. I'm going to say Beetlejuice because all those things are, are true about Edward Scissorhands, but Beetlejuice is just from floor to ceiling, start to finish, just gonzo vision from Burton. And it is loaded with incredible characters and performances. Is there a bad performance in that movie? Even like Otho's quote unquote girlfriend who is like two lines is amazing in that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like the secretaries in, in the waiting rooms of the afterlife are like incredible yeah. in that film. And they have a line each, the tiny, like not even like tertiary, like quintinary characters are Mm -hmm. memorable. The designs for each of them are incredibly luxe. Like how has there not been more done with this property? Because they must have spent forever on just the visuals and the concepts. You know, you're, you're swaying me on the way that Mm -hmm. it creates the world. The world of Beetlejuice is exceptional. It's amazing. And it is ripe for Sylvia Sidney. Sylvia, Sydney, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, and that's, it's so subtle, right? You're introduced to Juno. So if you haven't watched Beetlejuice, first of all, stop what you're doing. Go and watch it right now. Come back. (laughs) You're back. Amazing. Um, So um, 
they introduce Sylvia Sidney's character. She's their caseworker now that they're newly deceased. And she's there in her office and she takes the big drag off of the cigarette. And how do you realize how she dies? The smoke billows out of the, her, the slash in her neck. Like, it's that type of, mm-hmm. like, funny little... Attention to sub- detail. Yes, subversiveness. Because yeah. it's really dark, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's yeah. the, the, the the gopher in the afterlife office is, is a man who hanged himself. And he's just going around in the noose, like, delivering papers in people's inboxes. Like, it's taking everyday life and... T- and doing this really macabre version. And I can't think of anything like it before or even arguably since that had that type of, it was dark, but it was still really funny, right? Like Kate said that it scared her as a kid. Maybe I am an outlier here because I watched Nightmare on Elm Street when I was six. I watched Alien when I was even earlier, younger than that. I watched Uh, Poltergeist. I distinctly remember watching Poltergeist like before I was eight years old and the scene where he drinks the tequila bottle and the worm gets... That would be Poltergeist too, just to Thank you. Well, I watched both of them before (laughs) I was 10 years old for sure. I'm so... So, Yeah, no, I wouldn't... Those are are all way beyond this film. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for for me, Beetlejuice was like a Saturday morning cartoon in terms of the actual horror. And they did have the Saturday morning cartoon of Beetlejuice. By which, me, which did is, then well, become, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was going to say, like, in terms of building a world, there's the animated series. There yes. were video games. There's the stage musical. I don't yeah. know if you guys paid attention to that, that it, it opened, but then COVID kind of closed it down. It's coming back. It, it absolutely oh, is coming it back. Good? Yep, it is yeah. coming back. And, and Go ahead, Jim. I don't know if you guys have listened to any of it. It's 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 pretty good. At least the I was I, again I, a teacher. I was playing it at school while working on something, and then I realized very quickly that I had to turn it off because yeah. it was not school appropriate. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but to me, it is just a fully realized vision, and I think that's where Burton excels is is vision when he really believes in a property, and you can tell he believed in this property. Man, this was mm-hmm. this was him through and through. Bob, you it's original said too. Right? It is. It's yeah. Yep. So far yeah. as I know, I, I I think you can't fault either of these films for being not the best Tim Burton or not fault. But like you can't say that I, I don't see one being from a filmmaking perspective. I don't see one being better than the other. I think they're on par. Great movies. Well put together. Well, well, well cast, well designed, well, vis- all the visual, everything is just so good. Beetlejuice is just Beetlejuice, man. Right. Like everything about this is Tim Burton. You talked about the performances um eric like not a not a single uh, like dud in the bunch bob goulet broke away from celebrating a ca- old-fashioned cajun <laughs> christmas to be, to be part of this this production before he um, got killed every, by syracuse new york by the way syracuse new york right, killed every, bob goulet. <laughs> yes they did every single actor is there at their absolute best it is a great mixing of of the everything about Tim Burton from just everything from his visual style to the stop motion and the miniature work that he does like he brings all of that into this as well um it's you know I'll I'll say that you know Michael Keaton is transcendent in this oh role of Beetlejuice there is the, the, there is not a better comedic performance for me on film ever um like it is the most quotable film yes. Uh, yes. of the Tim yes, Burton it is. milieu, it is. right? It like is. we've quoted it how many times on this podcast alone, right? It is a broad comedy. Um, and Mars Attacks is really his other big kind of broad, sure. broad um, con- a comedy in that regard. The score from Danny Elfman is epic. That main theme is used on trailers for movies all of the time. <laughs> like you hear it all the time. You know, there was, I just don't think that there was not one person that was involved in this movie that wasn't giving over a hundred percent when they were making it. Everybody was one hundred percent committed. Everybody was on board. Everybody knew what they were doing and said, "This is going to be fucking great." And <laughs> I just, I just can't think of anything 
when you want to define to me Tim Burton, everybody's going to say Beetlejuice. Everybody's going to quote Beetlejuice. Everybody's going to say, I love Beetlejuice. Bob, Everybody you have to stop. You're going to summon him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> say it once. Say it twice. Third time's a charm. But, um, you know, everybody loves Edward Scissorhands, but not like they love Beetlejuice. That's yeah, really interesting. That true. I do not love Beetlejuice. I don't find him funny. Really? No. Those of us that love Beetlejuice also love Edward Scissorhands, but not like we like Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's. I think it may be a gender thing here too, though, because like my brothers and all, I love Beetlejuice, and I, we're all like, well, I don't want to say we all. I know I'm fond of Edward Scissorhands, but th- I feel the comedy in Beetlejuice is like crackling it like it is kind of bro mm-hmm. i guess and but like or maybe it's like i mean Catherine o'hara every time she oh opens her mouth i'm happy yes. i find her oh, funny i find winona Ryder funny i find the the world and the dark sick humor of it i love that but i find beetlejuice distasteful and an asshole and like that's mm-hmm. not funny to yeah, me he is. Absolutely. But he's supposed <laughs> but not, to be yeah. yeah but it's not funny i'm like this is the world <laughs> like i don't that's just me I can see that. And it is nice fucking model is probably one of the (laughs) best guys ever committed to film. Um, and then they put in the whorehouse for him and it's great but you know Kate you bring up a great point in that there is a just kind of reflexive misogyny that I guess maybe I didn't even notice yeah I I mean it could be and I might not have even been able to notice it either I was just like oh this guy is and then like he's like you're gonna marry me like fucking terrifying yeah terrifying Mm -hmm. and in the cartoon they're like together no ma'am no man. Are they together in the cartoon? I thought Aren't they were they? just like friends. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But they're like, but they're still like, they're the two main. Like, yes. you are not friends with the person who tries to marry you like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like they definitely changed Beetlejuice in the cartoon so that he's not as he's actually more of a menacing. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. It's more like frankly drop dead Fred than it is like yeah. terrifying. <laughs> Which is a whole, the night. whole other, other episode. <laughs> That's um, for the best Phoebe Cates movie. <laughs> that's a tough call. I have to be honest with you. That's a real tough call. Um, but so with that being said, does anybody else have anything else to say? I believe we are at least three to Beetlejuice to one Edward Scissorhands. Did you swing your vote, Kate? Or are you sticking? No, I mean, I, I'm going to stick with Edward Scissorhands. I do. For me personally, it is the film that I definitely like better. Although I absolutely appreciate everything that's going on in Beetlejuice. Sure. I think there's a certain element of that that needs to... They're both great movies. It kind of comes down to a preference thing, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. I think one of them has the heart and the other one has the humor, I would guess. Because I don't think... Edward one has the noise and one has the funk. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, one uh, has like a really clear fairy tale one is a fairy tale mm-hmm. and one is kind of a, mm-hmm. a fantasy a cautionary right? tale it's, frankly it's just, yeah <laughs> because i mean really uh, ultimately the whole point of the movie is um lydia wants to kill herself and she sees that that's not the solution of her problems and instead she begins to actually appreciate her family and also like the concept of found family uh, that's mm-hmm. how i view it yeah yes Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's about not being so insular and looking inward and and pr- appreciating what you have and and the world. Well, it's also about finding yeah. life and death, right? Like yep. it is the mm-hmm. liveliest de- death movie. Yes, <laughs> which yes. that I really appreciate about it. And I I still to like frankly afterlife kids. Um, I want to see Burton come back and do Beetlejuice too. I want to see that. We essentially got the final kind of chapter in the Batman films with Michael Keaton and Birdman. I mean, if that's mm-hmm. not basically like the end game of Batman, I don't know what it is. Um, but I need to see Beetlejuice too, Electric Boogaloo. I need to see that. <laughs> All I right, think so it's, it's goes Hawaiian. 
There you go. Beetlejuice <laughs> goes to Hawaii. Um, with that, we have it. Our, our our final winner. Our pick for the best Tim Burton film of all time is Beetlejuice. Do you agree with the choice? Do you think we need to book a session with Juno, our caseworker? Let us know <laughs> your pick by leaving a comment on this episode at greatpopculturedebate.com or yell at us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. While you're there, make sure that you like and subscribe for more great pop culture debate content. Thank you to my panelists. You are my number one. And I... And thank you for listening. Next time, remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinions. And this, this is why I won't do two shows a night. I won't. I won't do it. (laughs) Okay, that was funny. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.